Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we want to say thank you for uh, the presence of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that we're contemplating this topic of unity, but not uh, in isolation from you, Lord, that you're, we recognize, Lord, and acknowledge that every good thing that we have comes from you, that you've given us um, your spirit and that he is the one that provides the unity, that you by your spirit strengthen us and um, encourage us and lead us and guide us and direct us into what you have for our lives. And we thank you that we don't have to be who we are in the flesh, that we don't have to walk in the flesh and strive and fight and, and uh, devour one another, but as we see in the world. But Lord, as in, in Jesus Christ, we're all one. And we recognize, Lord, that it's you. So we pray for all these teachings, this time together, that it would be powerful in our lives and transformative, that we could experience something that we'd be able to take home, that it would change marriages and change families and, um, and, and impact churches and communities as your, your unity that you provide, Lord, the love that you provide and, and the power of the spirit that you provide is the only answer for this broken and, and sick, sickly world that we live in. And so help us, Lord, we offer our own hearts to you in these songs of worship and give you our lives and pray, Lord, that while we're in this beautiful place with each other, that your Holy Spirit would deliver us from sin, deliver us from the devil, deliver us from our, our own uh, inclinations uh, to, to follow our appetites, and deliver us from the, the power of the world, that we'd be those men that are living in that glorious liberty of the sons of God. And we trust you, Lord, and, and pray for these things and pray for your blessing on this teaching right now and, and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I'm just going to tell you a heads up. There's going to be a lot of overlap in the Bible studies. Um, and uh, I ask forgiveness to the fellow teachers for stealing the verses that you guys are planning on sharing. Um, Jeremy did a good job to try to give us each direction in our um, sessions that we had. But um, I don't know if you know this about Bible teachers, but they're thieves. They steal. They steal from dead guys. They steal from live guys. They steal from each other. Uh, I've taught Bible studies where I got done and the guy after me came back and kind of restated everything that I said because he wanted to make it better. Uh, you know, it's pretty funny. So I'm just giving to give you guys a heads up. Uh, and and um, my, I'm the first one. So uh, I was given sort of what is unity, what, what unity isn't. And, um, and I'm really, we have a great group of guys that are teaching and so um, you're, we're going to fill it all out. So um, I, I'm not going to probably do a, just giving you, I'm just, this is a disclaimer, okay? Uh, I'm probably not going to do a very good job in the first session of, uh, it's not really how my brain works. Um, uh, I'm more like a sniper uh, than I'm like a shotgun. You know, like I, I have friends that are great topical Bible teachers and when they're done, you just sort of like understand it all. Like there's a big pattern, you know, like they fire the weapon. It's like they just covered everybody. I'm like a sniper. So I'm going to be shooting for your heart uh, this morning because we think about what is unity and how can we have unity. 
and we look at the world that we live in and we see um, wars. We see Russia invade Ukraine. And um, I don't know if we have any Russians here or Ukrainians here, but uh, what a painful thing. Uh, what a difficulty. And um, we, we've had genocides. It's not like as humanity has gone on longer, we've had less tribalism. We have as much tribalism on the planet right now as we've ever had. Um, we have so much disunity. It, we're, our country's called the United States. Are we united? Uh, I'm from California. You guys are from Florida. I understand and I want to apologize. Uh, my governor, the governor of our, of our state, apparently feels like it's important to just come in, to other states and criticize policy. Like, aren't you the governor of California? These guys didn't vote for you. Uh, why are you coming to their state with, you know, with messages to them or, you know, um, in the world, and, and there's reasons why, and it affects all of us. It affects our marriages. It affects our own families. It affects our relationships with each other. Um, how can we be unified and how can we find that when it's just such a rare thing? Unity really um, comes from the nature of God. Um, we could spend uh, a lot, we could do all the sessions out of John chapter 17 Jesus is praying for a oneness within the fellowship of believers that exists between God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting when you think about the unity in, in the nature of, of God. It's a very difficult thing to explain, the Trinity. Uh, there's one God. We know there's one God, but there's the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, that's three. It's like, well, yes, there are three, but they're one. So the father sends his son into the world and the son says, I don't do anything except what the father says. Like I am completely submitted to the father. The son's praying, not my will, but your will be done. And you got the Holy Spirit who's poured into the world. The Holy Spirit is like, I'm not here to talk about myself. I want to point everyone to the son. The Holy Spirit is, is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Jesus said of sin because they don't believe in me. The whole ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point everybody to Jesus. The whole ministry of Jesus was to point everybody to the Father. And then we have the declaration from the Father, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so you want to ask the question, well, who's in charge? <laughs> uh, who has the name that's above every name? Is it the name Yahweh of the Old Testament? The New Testament says the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And the father's like, the son has preeminence, that in all things, the son has preeminence. And the son's saying, the father has preeminence. And the Holy Spirit said, go to the son and go to the, like, what do you see in the, in the unity that's in the nature of God is a complete selflessness. And so why would we want as men to have as a topic unity? Well, our struggle is, um, is this wind? Is this going to be okay with this wind? You guys okay with the windy? Anything I, if you guys are good, I'm good. It makes me feel like I'm doing something rugged. Like, like the wind was blowing. I was on the lake. Gators were surrounding me. And I stood there to teach the word to the men who were fearless, who froze all night to hear the word. And they eat meat in the morning. I feel like Ken Graves a little bit like, her. Pirate graves. Um, the unity that we long for is, is that unity that is 
voluntary. It's free. Um, Jesus, Jesus is voluntarily. No man takes my life. I give it up freely. Jesus' submission to the Father is voluntary. And unity is not, uh, is not conformity. It's not, uh, we're not talking about uniformity where you say, well, uh, you know, everybody wears this uniform. So if I said, hey, there's a group of skaters over there, would you be able to tell them by their uniform? If I say, look, look at those hip hipsters over there. They're doing this. You, could you tell by their uniform? If I say, wow, look at those gangbangers from South Central LA. Can you tell by their uniform? Yeah, there's conformity. There's a conformity. There's a, um, there's a pressure. Remember, you guys, a lot of you guys have Romans 12 uh, memorized, 12, 1 and 2. Those first couple verses. We present our bodies to God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. It's our reasonable worship. And then Paul says, do not be, and he uses a key word, do not be conformed to the world. The Phillips translation, you guys know, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. There's a unity in the world, and it's a squeezing into the mold. It's a pressuring, you know, because there's not voluntary. It's like, well, what do I get if I do this? Well, okay, well, I'll conform to get this thing that I want. As believers, um, there's, there's these two things that, that are both valuable to God. One is our, our distinctiveness. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not the Father, but they're one. There's only one God, but they're distinct. And here we are in this group of men, even this group of men, incredibly diverse, very, very different men. You have some guys that are musicians, and some guys uh, that are out here that are not musicians. I heard maybe one or two voices singing. I was like, well, it's from the heart, you know? Uh, right? You know, some of you guys, you're like, you're singing, I love the Lord, and I'm singing, and I sing soft because I love the Lord, and I love my friends, you know? And um, it's just different gifts. Some, some guys are incredibly mechanical, and they can fix anything, and other guys can't fix anything, and um, just, just very diverse the, the Bible talks about in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit divides gifts. He divides up all the gifts amongst the group. Nobody, nobody's doing everything. Every single person has a place. It's like, it's like the human body. My liver is not my kidneys. My kidneys are not my foot, my heel. You know, all this incredible diversity and incredible unity. How in the world do you do that? That's impossible. Because in order to have unity without, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit's power, without the work of God in our lives, it's conformity. It's religion. This is what we do. This is how we do it. You stand up here. You sit down here. You say these words. You do this like this. Well, I don't, that didn't resonate with me. And you're like, no, this is, this is it. It's conforming you into something. Or there's the people that emphasize the distinction. Like, I'm distinct. I don't, I just go to church by myself. You don't have to go to a church to go to, to be a Christian. I just by myself. Like, yeah, you're by yourself. <laughs> Is the father by himself from the son and the spirit by himself from this, the father? Like, no, they're together. This, there, there's these things that are intention. And without the Lord in the world, you got this one and you got this one and they're just, just broken. And so when we come together as men, um, 
this, the concept of unity is just so, so important because the, I would just honestly say the best experiences we can have on the planet is in unity. The best experience, the best memories I have of my Christian life, I'm not alone. I mean, obviously, obviously I have my experiences with the Lord that are, that are very important. They're critical. You've got to have your own personal relationship with the Lord. Those things, and so I'm, I'm, I'm giving that as a given. That's like, love the Lord your God with all your hearts. The vertical relationships are most important. But when I, if I think, if you could say, Rich, tell me your three greatest experiences that weren't the personal b- between just you and Jesus, your greatest experiences on the planet, I would just tell you I'm not alone And when I think of those memories. Someone's with me. My wife's with me. I'll get, I'm thinking they're popping in my head. You know, I'll get emotional. I have dear brothers that are with me. And you say, well, tell me what's that like? And I just, I go back and I think, well, I was standing with my brother. Me and my three friends, man, we were, there's a, there's a unity. There's something that the Holy Spirit gives us. And that's why Satan hates it. He hates it. He wants to destroy it. He wants us to be divided. And, and if we're going to come together, he wants us to conform. Like he, he doesn't want this beautiful, free, amazing unity by the Spirit. He, he doesn't want it. I wanted to uh, talk about unity, and, and I guess this is probably like a weird way to do it, but I'd say that the first point that I want to make about, about what unity is is it has to do with our own relationship with the Lord, and it's at the very root of, well, how could we accomplish this? How, how could we be unified? And that is, you got to be unified within yourself. Um, you guys know the verse in James where he talks about you can pray, but when you pray, ask in faith. You know, pray, for, ask for wisdom, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. And the word doubting has a concept in the original language of a, a doubting what's going on in your head is you're, you're talking to yourself in your head. Like you, you're like, oh, I did this. And you're like, oh, did I remember that? And you're, you're having like this argument in your head. So the, the doubting is not like, well, I wonder if this is going to happen. It's not that kind of doubt. It's a doubting of like, do you, he told me to do it like this. Like, do I do it? Like, you know, no, no, you're, you're like, it's an arguing. And that's why he says right after that, a double-minded man. Don't let that person who's doubting, don't let them think they're going to receive anything from the Lord. They're, they're, like, the, they're like the wave of the sea that's up and down. They're not, there's not a stability. And he said, a, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That phrase, double-minded man. For practical purposes, we, we could, you could Google it, you know, get a theology book and get a great definition of, of what... Um, unity is or what it isn't cover it in a paragraph or something but practically for our own lives a double-minded man is going to have a hard time with unity why because he's not unified <laughs> he's double-minded one minute i like what my wife is saying the next minute i don't like what she's saying there's a root there's something underneath my double-mindedness well hey this is great hey i don't like this it's not great well why what's at the bottom why am I thinking what I'm thinking? Israel, throughout their history, in our Old Testament, the account of the, the nation of Israel, there are many times they're double-minded. And there's a lack of unity, and there's division, and there's difficulty in the nation. And there's a statement in a famous event, if you, 
If you have your Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. And it's a famous story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. The people had gone to idols and uh, Elijah was raised up by the Lord. He comes and it's a wake up call for the nation and, and there's a drought and the three and a half years of drought happens. And then the Lord speaks to Elijah and said, go and uh, reveal, you know, tell, your, tell the king it's time. And Elijah calls all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel and all the false prophets come. He tells them, bring the false prophets too. We're going to have a contest on Mount Carmel. Famous story, right? He asked God, you know, they're going to ask their God to bring fire on their altar. He's going to ask God to bring fire on the altar. And, you know, fire comes down when Elijah prays and there's no fire when the other guys pray. But if you, if you look at chapter 18 of 1 Kings and, and verse 21, when he has the nation together before the contest, he asks a question in verse 21. He says, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The root of their lack of unity was they were faltering between two opinions. Uh, there was a brokenness. And the brokenness that was there would be manifested in every part of their national life. It would be manifest in the home, parents and children, husbands and wives, be manifest in the, in the civic arena, in their civil government, complete corruption. But it's because they were between two opinions. Uh, are you going to be able to have unity with somebody who's divided between two opinions? If it, well, I think I'm serving God, but then I'm serving Baal, like divided. And this word that he uses in verse 21, how long will you falter between two opinions? The word falter in the original literally means to limp or to be lame. Uh, there's something wrong with your you. You can't, you're not able to walk. Between two opinions, it makes you lame. You're not able to go where you want to go. I was praying about what I would share, how, how we would start this first session and, and what kind of, the, I felt like the Lord wanted to emphasize. And watching the football game last week, I was meditating on this verse and thinking about it and watching the, the football games, the football playoffs are going on right now uh, in the timing. And some of you guys are football fans and you saw the guys roll up on Patrick Mahomes' leg, Right. He's in the pocket, he's about to throw the ball, and a guy goes right into his leg sideways, and it, his ankle just cranks over. And he, he's like, oh, I don't watch the replays, man. I'm like, oh, dude, I don't want to watch that. And, and he's injured. And, and, he, and watching him try to move after that, and that, that guy is an athlete. He's such a great athlete. But after that injury, I thought of this word. He was faltering, Right? I remember watching the game and Barry, like, you're going to hand the ball off. Well, let's not put him in the pot. He's going to hand the ball off. He turns to do a reverse pivot. And, but they've got like kind of a, the running back's going to go way to the side before he comes forward. And so he's got to go two steps and he literally can't put any pressure on the one leg. And he kind of hops on this, on this same leg twice to get the ball and barely can get the ball to the running back. And I thought, Oh no. And I thought of this verse. Like that is a picture of a man who's lame. He's limping. He's faltering. Now that's an injury and it's a sports thing, 
But man, I've seen guys who would say, I'm on the team. I know Jesus. And then they're trying to hand off. They're trying to do a handoff. And it's like, bro, you're lame. <laughs> you're limping. You can't get the ball there. You can't. You're in the pocket. The pocket's collapsing. And you got to be able to do something. But that you don't have the ability. Brothers, if you're between two opinions, you, the, the unity has to begin in your own heart. In your own heart. Who's, like, what are you doing? Whose team are you on? Um, and I'm not saying this in a way to, to make condemnation, but this is the reset button that we push in our lives, isn't it? Push the reset button, don't you? You say, man, I haven't arrived. You wake up in the morning like, Lord, I'm giving you my life. <laughs> and forgive me, you know, but I'm going for it today. Lord, help me walk with you. You get in the word. You, you're receiving something from him. You put him first. But we all know what it's like to start the day where you didn't do that. And then the next day when you didn't do that, then pretty soon it's a couple weeks. Pretty soon it's a few months. And then pretty soon you can't make a handoff. Pretty soon when the pocket's collapsing on you, you got no mobility because you're limping between two opinions. Let's just start off with repentance. And the Lord knows your heart and, and you've come here. God bless you for making the decision to come. That's, that's a, that could be a sign that you're between the two opinions. At least you came. You still have... But there's guys that aren't here that should have come. Maybe you got a friend that you invited and you saw him limping between the two opinions and you're like, dude, we're having the thing. It's awesome. It's at a new place. Let's go check it out. You know, the food's going to be amazing. It's great brothers, good teacher. We'll worship. It'll be awesome. The guy's like, well, I can't. And he's not even faltering between the two opinions. So God bless you for coming. But if you're here, all the things we're going to talk about, you're going to get great teaching on the impact and encouragement on how to be unified. Lots of great, very practical, tactical choices. But at the bottom of it, if you're a double-minded man in your own heart, like it's got to start inside of, of me or you. How long am I going to limp between the two opinions? If Baal's God, then go serve Baal. But if God is God, then get on board. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means you're going, you've made a decision. You're not double-minded. Double-minded doesn't, you know, I'm not double-minded, so that means I'm going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to fall. But when you fall, you get up. The Bible says a righteous man will fall seven times in a day, but you pop back up. Get up and keep going. But double-mindedness has to be dealt with. And there's, there's a, an example I wanted to point to, and it's, it's a poignant example. It's powerful and it's tragic. And so let's turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Because there's, there's an example of a beautiful unity and an example of a complete corruption of, of disunity in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. There are great heroes, two of the greatest men of God who ever lived, the men of faith who did great exploits for the Lord, Jonathan and David. Incredible men of God, not perfect men, obviously, David, for sure, not perfect men, uh, but men that there are many qualities they have that you would want to emulate and follow, and they were very unified. And then there's another character in the story named Saul, Jonathan's dad, he's the king, and he is not unified. This guy is not unified with anybody. 
Uh, he, he's disunified. I mean, he's, he's disjointed inside of himself. He's tormented. He's tormented from the outside by an evil spirit from the Lord. He's tormented on the inside by his insecurities and his fears. He's sort of this character of a, of a self-centered man who's, who's tormented personally. He torments everybody in his life. Chapter 18, verse 1, this is after David has killed uh, Goliath. And earlier in chapter 14, Jonathan and his armor bearer had taken on the Philistines. So both of these men have made great steps of faith at tremendous personal risk. There's a unity there. These are two men that have chosen, I'm living for God, I'll risk it all. And they're going to be unified in, the, in that place of I'm surrendered to God. Verse, eight, verse 1 says, when he'd finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him, to that, took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. So Saul sees a unity there also. Jonathan's heart's knit with David's heart. Saul looks at him and says, you stay with us. You know, you belong here. You belong in the court. You need to be, you need to be involved in what's happening. We, so you look and you go, well, this, this is good. Jonathan, verse 3, and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. What he saw when he saw that young guy say, and he, Saul puts his armor on David and David goes, I've never worn this stuff. Like I don't, I'm not experienced with these weapons and this, this armor. And he put the armor off and he went to the brook and he picked five stones and then he ran out at the giant and whacked him in the head with a rock and then chopped his head off. And Jonathan said, I like that dude. That's a brother right there. That's a brother that my heart is knit to. Are they unified? What are they unified in? What did he see that he loved? It says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. What, what was the knitting? How did that happen? Have you experienced that with brothers? He looked at him and thought, that's a guy. I would go anywhere with that guy. I would risk my neck with that dude. He loved him and said, let's, Let's be together. Let's make a covenant. Let's be in it. Like I, it was me and my armor bearer, but I saw you kill that giant. Let's go for it. And then look at what happens next. And it, it's important. Verse four, Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and he gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. This guy's not double-minded. That's, that's like, that's completely sold out. What's he, what is he saying? What is that? I mean, he's the, the, the son of the king. When the king dies, who's going to be the king? Jonathan. And he sees David and they, he says, man, I see what God's doing in you. I, I love this. And he goes, here, take my robe. What's he saying? You know what? Here, here's my belt. And here's my sword. In fact, here's all my armor. He's given him, he's given him what he has. Like, it, like his position, his life, his future. You're, you're the, you'll be king, not me. I'll follow you. You're the king. I'm not, not going to be the king. Powerful, powerful. I mean, God's already at this point rejected Saul. He's our, for Saul's 
double-mindedness. He, he doesn't kill the Amalekites. He, he rebels and offers a sacrifice. Saul's already been rejected. The, spirit, the an evil spirit has been tormenting Saul. The writing's on the wall. And Jonathan, rather than wanting to hold on to a position and fight for it as a double-minded man would, is it the kingdom of God or is it the kingdom of Jonathan? Well, it's the kingdom of God, but I got to have this. And oh, I get oh. They're not going to have, that's Saul. It doesn't have, there's not going to be any unity. Jonathan just goes, here's all my stuff. Here's all my gear. What do you want to do? Let's do it. I'll go with you anywhere you want to go. I don't need to be king. I mean, it's two of the greatest men who ever lived. And they're completely unified. And they're unified. And the one guy completely surrenders to the other guy. And the other guy is completely surrendered to this guy. David protects, I mean, doesn't massacre Jonathan's family. And he, there's just this incredible mutual surrender and mutual submission. Verse 5 says, David went out wherever Saul sent him. He behaved wisely. Saul set him over the men of war. He was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of all Saul's servants. Verse 6, it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel. They were singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The victorious army returning, people excited about their victory. In verse 7, the women sang as they danced, and they sang this song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Just put them side by side. This person is ten times the man that this person is. Now, is Jonathan, if you change the lyrics and said, Jonathan has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. Jonathan have a problem with that song? I don't think he does. He already gave him his robe <laughs> and his belt and his sword and all of his armor, like, yeah, of course he's saying this. This is the king, man. This is the guy. Everybody follow him. Like, I'm, a, I'm on board. I love this guy. Let's do it. Let's all go together. Let's be unified. Saul liked this song. Does Saul like this, this lyrics? Verse 8, Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've only described, ascribed thousands now, what more can he have but the kingdom? And look at the next sentence. Verse 9. Saul eyed David from that day forward. Have you ever been eyed by somebody? Like, what is that? You know that face. You know exactly what Saul looked like. He's not, now, everything that David does is under suspicion. Oh, why did he say that? Did you see that he walked by and looked at me like that? I walked up to the campfire. They didn't offer me any bacon. Except for that guy bacon. And that guy they offered. They didn't offer me any bacon. Now, that's not bacon bitterness coming out from earlier this morning. Like, I was offered bacon right away. So, I was offered a uh, bacon, what, a pancake, bacon fried pancake. I was offered. Like, I walk up, do you want a bacon fried pancake? I was like, I didn't know there was such a thing, but it sounds amazing. So there wasn't bacon bitterness. I'm not getting back at my campfire guys. They were great guys. What's going on with Saul? Saul's divided. Whose kingdom is it, Saul? What would be his answer? If he's in Sunday school class. Saul, whose kingdom is it? Jesus, God, the Bible. That's all the Sunday school. That's the best 
It's your Sunday school. If you're ever, if you're ever in a men's fellowship and they ask questions, just go, Jesus or God, the Bible. One of those three answers is going to get you off the hook. If he's in Sunday school, whose kingdom is it, Saul? Who's God's kingdom? Then why does your face look like that? Why are you eyeing David? Because I'm a double-minded man. Can you be unified? Can David be unified with Saul? Is it possible for David to be unified with Saul? What's the answer? No. He can't. It's not going to be possible. Now, he can submit to Saul. He can decide not to kill Saul when he has chances to kill him. He can run for his life from Saul and hide. But it's going to be impossible for him to be united with Saul because Saul is not united in his own heart. He's a self-reliant man. He's lame. He's limping. When you read the story of Saul, you see a person faltering in his walk. He falters in every relationship. He's going to try to kill David. David is his most loyal guy, and he's going to be so insecure and so out of control that he's not, not only not unified with him, he's actually going to try to murder him. He's going to try to murder his own son. He throws a spear at Jonathan to try to kill him. Now, Zach and I were talking yesterday. We were talking about the overlap of our particular teachings, and, and uh, he had actually sent in an email, like, I'm going to look at this relationship. And I was like, well, sorry, I'm going first. Um, I'm going to look at it too. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm going to look at it like what later, you know, compare their, their, them as kings and David as a king. So we were talking about it, and he said something that really struck me. He said, you know, David had mighty men, and Saul did not have mighty men. And then it hit me, and I looked at him, and I said, Saul had mighty men. He tried to kill him. You're not going to find two more mighty men than Jonathan and David. The story of Saul's life could have played out where, and Saul had his mighty men, David, Jonathan. I mean, you think like, those are heavies. That's heavyweights. David has his mighty men. The 39 names that are listed, you know, in 2 Samuel. There's those mighty men. Saul had mighty men. He, killed, he tried to murder them. He chased the one guy forever till he died. Saul and his mighty men, his sons, died on Mount Gilboa in a battle with the Philistines. And their heads were chopped off. And their bodies were fastened to the wall of Bethshan in disgrace. Why? There wasn't unity. And Saul could look at his life and say, Saul, when were you unified with somebody? When did that happen? Well, it never happened for Saul. Why? Saul was a self-reliant man. If you look at Jonathan or you look at David, remember David's mighty men, the guys that fought their way to, the, to Bethlehem. They, the, the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem and David was at the, you know, like we're cold, right? Like you guys are cold. Um, you know, you're going through, you're suffering, there's not food, you're going, like, let's just say we stayed out here for like nine months, and it never warmed up, and we're just miserable after nine months, and we ran out of our food, and we're eating bark, and we're hunting for raccoons, and some of you guys are keeping the rest of us alive with your skills, and uh, we're eating crows, or whatever we find, and, um, you know, after a long time, then someone's like, man, I wish, I remember, I remember when I was in I remember when I was by this place and this thing. And so, you know, David just one day talking, he said, there's no water like the water from the well of Bethlehem. That's his home village. 
And three of the guys, they hear it, and they go, oh, yeah, let's do it. They sneak out. They go to Bethlehem. They fight. Phyllis, they risk their lives. Get that. They kill these guards. They get the water. Keep on the guard. They get a bunch of water. They haul it back. They get back to the camp. They're, David, check out what we got in the bag. What do you got? Well, you said you liked that water from Bethlehem. We killed a bunch of Philistines, man. We, got, we went to the well. We got a whole bag of it. What does David do? He preserves the unity. What does he do? He takes the water from them and he pours it out on the ground. And he said, this is your blood, brothers. I can't, you can't risk your life for me like that. Like that water, you mean more to me than that water. You guys, your lives. He pours it out as an offering to the Lord. He takes what they were trying to do for him and he says, no, that, that's for the Lord. He pours it out before the Lord. He makes, he makes it noble. It makes it, they're, they're showing their love. They're, they're, they're risking their lives for him. He's going to risk his life. Like, no, no, this is for the Lord. Unity. How is David like that? What a difference between David and Saul. David wrote a great, many great songs. But one song in particular tells you his heart and why he ends up with mighty men in his life. Why he ends up, even with all of his failures, murder, adultery, numbering the people, discord in his family, and lots of failings. But he sings a song and he says, one thing I've desired of the Lord. And that's what I'm going to seek after. There's one thing that matters to me more than anything else. And that's what I'm going after. That I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's why Jonathan fell in love with him. That's why Jonathan said, you know what? You can have my robe, you can have my belt, you can have, my, you can have all my weapons. Man, I'll follow you. If that's your one thing, guess what? That's my one thing. Guess what? Now you and I are unified. We're complete, completely diverse, totally different from each other, and maintain our diversity, maintain our distinctiveness, love the differences between each other. Go, man, you're so different from me, and I love it. I love what you're good at, and I love you so much I can put up with what you're not good at. I love you because your one thing is my one thing. The problem is when we say, this is my, like King Saul, here's my one thing, one thing I've desired of the Lord, and that's what I'll seek after, to behold my beauty <laughs> and to have my kingdom. And now I'm eyeing David because it looks like that guy's got his eye on my kingdom, so I got my eye on him. And anybody else in here who wants to think they could take my kingdom, well, I got my eye on you. Pretty soon I'm like, well, I don't think I'm going to be unified with you, bro. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm going to try to kill you. Doesn't mean I'm going to undermine. I'm like, all right. I, I doesn't resonate with my heart. But you meet another brother who's all about Jesus, then, then now I'm unified. This is going to, this changes your marriage. Uh, you learn, you guys that are not married, and you guys that are married already know this, but you guys that are not married, you learn very quickly when you're married that trying to get your wife to be like-minded with you by agreeing with you it's not going to work. We'll be like-minded, honey, when you figure it out that I know way better than you. Pretty much most, uh, periodically, you might be right. 
that's a given. Once every few years. Uh, when we'll be like-minded when you agree with me. Or when you're married, with a wo- married to a woman who says, we'll be like-minded when you agree with me. And what goes on in the marriage? It's like being married to King Saul. She's married to King Saul, and you're married to King Saul. And each person is trying to get the other person to agree. We'll be like-minded when you agree with me and have my mind. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says, let's have the mind of Christ. My wife is seeking the mind of Christ. I'm seeking the mind of Christ. And guess what happens? We're like-minded. But when you're trying to get me to do what you want, and I'm trying to get you to do what I want, there's suspicion and distrust. Where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, James says, where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil thing. So Paul writes and says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, desire for vainglory, but with humility of mind. That's how we can be like-minded. We humble ourselves in our mind. With humility of mind, consider others as better than yourself. Well, here's my belt. Here's my sword. You can have my robe. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God and didn't have to grab onto it that he's equal to God, but, but what? He emptied himself, becomes the form of a servant, is manifested. He's in appearance as a man. He humbles himself and becomes obedient even to the point of death. And you see that man, you say, I'm unified with Jesus. He's unified with me. I'm unified with him. One thing I've desired of the Lord. There's something at the bottom of it. And I pray, especially for you guys, you've come to the retreat. I don't want to put a burden on anybody, but this morning, Maybe already in the middle of the night, you already did business with the Lord. But if you have been double-minded and you're lame and you can't make the handoff, you're in your life, you're missing the, you're missing the throws, the, the pocket's collapsing on you and you can't move like you used to move. Be honest with yourself right now before, like we're going to have great teaching. So get in the right frame of mind to receive it. Make a decision right now and say, Lord, that was me. I got a high ankle sprain and I can't move because I'm here and here. I'm double-minded. I'm, I'm halt between two opinions. Repent. Say, Lord, I'm not halt anymore between two opinions. Like, it's you, Lord. You know how messed up I am, but it's you, and that's it. I'm going for it. And tell, tell one of your brothers, I made a decision this morning. Hold me accountable. I'm walking with the Lord, and get everything you can get up, because the best thing about us is when the one thing is the one thing, and then you're around other guys, and the one thing is the one thing. And it's unbelievable. It's the best thing about the planet, is being with other human beings uh, and doing the one thing, like-minded. Lord, help us. We pray for the power of the Spirit to do what would never happen without the power of the Spirit. We have to have that new creation in Christ work of the Spirit to take old things and make them pass away, and make all things new. So I pray for my brothers. The old things that need to go, Lord, we give them to you. You're our David. We take off our robe and give it to you. And our, all of our armor, we give it to you. We, you. we have one king and it's you. And Lord, all of us giving ourselves to you, then we can, we can be one with each other. So help us, Lord, help us and speak to us. And I pray, especially for guys, that maybe this, is, this retreat can change their whole life, what they've been going through and where they're struggling. 
that they wouldn't halt between the two opinions, but they just would have one opinion now, a single-mindedness, a single eye uh, for you. And we, we pray for your help, Lord, by the Spirit. Bless all the teachings, Lord, to all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.